Welcome back to 10 Blocks. This is your host, Brian Anderson. Joining us on today's show is Arpit Gupta. Arpit is an assistant professor of finance at NYU Stern School of Business, and he's an adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute. You can follow him on Twitter at Arpitrage, A-R-P-I-T-R-A-G-E. He has also written for City Journal. Professor Gupta is a co-author, along with the epidemiologist Jonathan Ellen, of a new report published by the Manhattan Institute just this week called A Strategy for Reopening New York City's Economy. You can find it on MI's homepage, and we'll link to it in the description. We're here today to talk about the report and some of the measures they propose for getting New Yorkers and commuters back to work safely. As our regular listeners know, it's been over a month since the city entered into lockdown, and no one yet knows when we can expect to be able to return. Arpit, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on, Brian. Uh, To start with, um, let's just uh, lay out some of the the current situation. Uh, New York, uh, as I think most people know, has borne the brunt of the pandemic to date in the United States. The city itself accounts, I think, for more than a quarter of all U.S. COVID-related deaths. Uh, For that reason, the city faces a kind of unique challenge, uh, both controlling the outbreak and reviving an economy battered by the shutdown. Your report addresses both of those things, which we'll get to momentarily. But uh, I'd like to get your sense on the scope of the economic crisis uh, facing the city in particular, but maybe even more broadly, the whole country. Yeah, Brian, I think this has been just an incredibly devastating shock, both for our city as well as the country as a whole. And here in New York, we do have the advantage that many workers are able to work remotely. But we know that many workers are not able to have the same advantages and so are forced to either continue going to frontline jobs that are potentially very risky. You know, those include medical workers, subway workers, and so forth. Or many workers are simply facing unemployment and lost income. And that's true across a range of businesses in New York. I think the hospitality, leisure, luxury businesses are possibly some of the worst affected. But I think we're really seeing a broad-based economic slowdown across really the entire New York City economy. Uh, In the report, you you outlined two key components of a safe and hopefully successful strategy for getting the city back to work. Uh, And we'll we'll try to cover both of them as much as we can on the podcast. The first is risk mitigation. And then you discuss a kind of staged or tiered approach to reopening. For risk mitigation, let me just quote directly from the report, mitigation should include a large expansion in testing capacity, ensuring mask usage, temperature checks, contact tracing, and centralized isolation sites. Can you explain um, as succinctly as possible each of these uh, steps for our listeners? And then, you know, maybe we can ask you how you think the city may have done so far in enacting some of those measures. Absolutely. So first, in terms of the big picture, I'd really like to emphasize that I think tackling the nature of this disease and infection is really going to be the first order challenge in order to ensure that New York's economy can reopen. And I think that's true for two reasons. The first is that people aren't going to feel comfortable or safe going back to work unless they think that an outbreak can, in fact, be successfully contained. So there's a huge perception problem that the city needs to overcome. 
I think we see some evidence of this if you look internationally, for instance, at Sweden. This is a country that has not imposed lockdown orders. Nonetheless, they're still seeing that a lot of their economy has nonetheless slowed down in comparison with other Scandinavian countries that have had um, those, those more direct lockdown measures. So what that kind of tells us is that even if we threw open the economy tomorrow, unless people feel safe, they're not actually going to show up to work, show up as consumers. So addressing that public perception, I think, is a key priority. Also critical to these steps, I think, is ensuring that we have in place the public policy measures that will mitigate the spread of this disease in the future. So if we reopen the economy and infections continue to grow at the same exponential speed that we saw before, we're simply going to have to shut the economy back down again. So the overall goal here is to try to think of a set of policies that will both ensure public confidence as well as ensure that a reopened economy will not have the same uh, increase in uh, infection rates that we saw previously. And so all the steps are intended to try to provide a layered series of interventions towards that goal. Now, more specifically, the cornerstone of this plan, as in many other plans, is testing. The reason that testing is so important is that it's the only way to adequately measure who actually is infected and should therefore be isolated uh, from the population. So Paul Romer has written a lot about this. Many others have as well. And the medical experts have really emphasized the importance of testing in the context of asymptomatic cases, right? So we know that so many people are spreading the disease um, at a stage in their infection where they haven't yet shown symptoms. Now, another tactic to address this asymptomatic carrier situation is the use of masks. That's something that New York, I think, is already moving quite rapidly in the direction of. Many other states have as well, and I think it will have to be part of our response going forward. Masks are really valuable for a lot of reasons. In this disease in particular, masks are actually quite important to ensure that those asymptomatic carriers aren't actually spreading the disease to other people, even if they don't know themselves that they are infected. That kind of a is, is intended to address these uh, asymptomatic carriers. There are some symptoms that I think we can try to address. So the temperature checks is an idea that, again, other states, Ohio in particular, have tried out in which you might test the workplace and see if anyone has a fever and, and ensure that those individuals um, are, 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 sent, are sent back home. And and, and you know another measure that, that you brought up is this issue of centralized quarantine zones. Now, this, is, I think, is, is a really critical measure that has been adopted a lot in some of these Asian countries, but has not yet seen uh, widespread use in the United States, though a number of states are experimenting with this. And the basic idea is that if you have someone who has tested positive, we need to find ways of ensuring that they don't spread this disease further to individuals they actually live with. And, right. and having that's, a place that's been a, a major a major source of infection uh, according to some of the studies I've read absolutely I mean I think one kind of puzzle at this point is why the infectious spread seems to be as high as it is even under a lockdown situation and I think one plausible explanation for that has to do with the fact that people are still spreading the disease in their homes in their apartment buildings and allowing individuals the opportunity to go to a secure area and wait out the disease progression without necessarily affecting the other people they live with, I think could possibly be very valuable. It's particularly important in the context of New York, 
um, as we know, because of our high housing costs, we have a lot of families that are um, in, living in cramped quarters. Right. And what about uh, the contact tracing, which has been discussed uh, in, in other plans? How feasible is that given the number of asymptomatic uh, carriers, which some, uh, some evidence suggests could be as many as a quarter of New York City residents who have been exposed at least uh, at some point to the virus? Right. So I think this contact tracing idea is certainly not going to work in isolation, right? I think we are at a stage of this um, disease progression that we're not able to track down cases that um, that are just kind of a few of them in the population. We really are dealing with a much more severe outbreak. The idea of introducing contact tracing into this broader discussion is to try to just have a layered series of interventions such that in the future, when it is possibly safe to open New York's economy, we will at that point be looking at a smaller caseload and we'll need to rely on more targeted interventions than are appropriate now. And so I think it's worth investing this time that we have to ensure that we have this capacity in the future. And I think what that will do is help to track these clusters of communities in which individuals are infected and try to ensure that those individuals that are in contact with those that, that are testing positive um, are able to quarantine uh, effectively. So it's it's not going to be enough in isolation. I view these as a menu and a series of options that in tandem can hopefully bring down that all-important uh, infection rate um, to a level that the economy can safely work. The second component of your strategy is uh, this tiered approach to reopening. Um, you, you discussed three different stages. Could you uh, elaborate on that a little bit and how we would move from one stage to the next? Absolutely. So the big picture here is to think about this pandemic as something that doesn't have equal impacts on all people or on all establishments, but in fact has very heterogeneous impacts on different population groups and on these different uh, establishments. So one of the biggest ways we see that is through the mortality differential among the elderly and the young. Right. We know that this is a, a disease that ca can certainly kill younger people and can certainly um, bring them to hospitalizations, but is just substantially more deadly for that elderly population. So um, as well as for individuals that have certain certain uh, pre-existing medical conditions. So that just means it's essential to ensure that those vulnerable populations remain sheltered as much as possible, even as other individuals are able to return to work. And that same degree of risk stratification is important when we think across different types of establishments. We know that there are many establishments that present greater risks than others. Um, just, you know, some examples of these institutions would include um, places like malls um, and other places where you have lots of different people mixing together and possibly uh, spreading the disease, whereas other establishments um, might be less risky. And actually something like an office building where you've got regular workers coming in, um, interacting only with a certain subset of people might actually be one example of a less risky establishment. So the idea with the staging is to try to triage these population groups and businesses. And in the first stage, we would release to work only the youngest uh, individuals, those younger than 45, and those who don't have a variety of pre-existing conditions, um, to a subset of establishments. That would include things like offices. Um, and offices would also ideally stagger themselves 
the number of people that can come to work at any given time. And that, and that would kind of remain the status quo until we got a better sense of what the infection rate looks like under those conditions. Now, if we are in a situation in which this infection rate starts to increase again, um, the caseload start to rise, then we may need to reintroduce stay-at-home orders. However, if we have a sustained reduction in these cases over a period of something like 14 days, and we're seeing improvements in our testing capacity as well, that may allow us to then move to the next risk level in which we would allow a larger set of establishments and a broader set of people to also return to work. That makes sense. Um, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on implementation. You know, what's your view on the likelihood that the city would uh, adopt this kind of strategic, careful reopening that you and uh, Dr. Ellen recommend? Yeah, that, that's a really tricky question. I think we're seeing elements of the ideas that we're proposing in various different places around the world. And we're certainly drawing from these international examples in illustrating proposal. For example, Israel is currently considering an idea to also have this age-based stratification in which they have younger people go to work and older people and those with pre-existing conditions stay at home. Uh, we know in Massachusetts, they are rapidly expanding the number of employees for contact tracing and New York City is um, in the process of doing so as well. We've also seen very recently the mayor has agreed to open up uh, many more streets, about 40 miles in the short term of streets to pedestrian traffic. That's another element of our plan to help ensure social distancing and allow individuals to have necessary space. So I think there we've seen really rapid progress in a lot of these different areas. And I'm hopeful that the city is going to be able to draw on international best practices and introduce a uh, measured uh, series of interventions to ensure a safe reopening. Thanks very much. Don't forget to check out Arpit Gupta's report. It's co-authored with Dr. Jonathan Ellen. It's called A Strategy for Reopening New York City's Economy. You can find it on the Manhattan Institute's homepage, and we'll link to it in the description. You can follow City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. Remember, you can email us at podcast at city-journal.org if you've got any questions or suggestions for the show. And always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, give us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and thanks very much, Arpit, for joining us and offering such an illuminating breakdown. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.